Welcome to PBC Talks. If you would like to find out more information, please visit pbc.org.uk. Good morning. How are you? Good, good. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are so lucky to be sat next to me this morning. Great. So, so we're going to be uh, we're going to be continuing um, the teaching theme that we've been looking at over Lent, which is um, acts of generosity. And um, and the Bible passage that we've actually, well, the book that we've been looking at in the Bible is is the book of Acts, where we've been um, exploring what um, the early Christian church was like. And um, it's called the Acts of the Apostles, so that was sort of the, uh, the earliest followers of, of Jesus, the believers that Jesus Christ had, writ- uh, had risen from the dead. Um, some people might also call it the Acts of the, the Holy Spirit, seeing as the, um, the apostles were moved into action because of the Holy Spirit's leading um, and the book kind of starts with um, 120 believers gathered in an upper room in Jerusalem. So probably roughly the same amount of people as there are here today. And they were joined together in constant prayer. That was their starting position. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit to guide them. Before they began to do any kind of ministry, they wanted to meet with the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus had uh, told them to do. And then, uh, bam, we have Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit and comes, fills the room, fills them. And they are filled with courage. New spiritual gifts are released in them. And their ministry begins in a spectacular way. With 3,000 people added to the church of God on that first day on Pentecost. And this, uh, this new community of believers devotes themselves to a new lifestyle where they start to share everything together. Even selling their houses, selling their properties, their possessions, to support anyone who joined them that may have any kind of need. And they met together, they ate together, they prayed and worshipped together. Daily, people were saved and joined this new way of life. And then we fast forward to actually where we're going to be looking at today, which is Acts 6. And um, Acts 6, some internal sort of grumblings threaten to disrupt um, this new exciting community. So, Robin, could we put that Acts 6 up on the screen? Thank you. So, um, oh, someone's reading it for me. That's nice. (laughs) In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. He's got a much better voice than me. (laughs) So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said... It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And then it goes on to say, I should know this off by heart. Next bit of text. 
the pro- this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So I want to go through this sort of um, verse by verse almost. And, and we're going to start by looking at verse 1, which kind of says, so it says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So basically, the Hellenistic Jews are Greek-speaking Jews. That's just what that word means. And they are reacting to this problem. There's obviously a problem. Their, their, their widows are being overlooked. They're not being fed as well. But actually, what they start to do is sort of complain and, and, and develop hard feelings or, or start murmuring, depending on what translation you're reading, um, against the other believers rather than being sort of proactive and trying to deal with the issue. And I think that actually, that's a, that's a reminder to us quite a lot um, about how easy it is in church to sometimes slip into a little bit of murmuring, a bit of complaining, sometimes gossiping about things that aren't going our way. Maybe we feel slightly victimized by something that's happened, and we feel something's a bit unfair. It's, it's really easy to just slip into that complaining sort of victim um, position. And things don't always go our way in in church. Um, People often make mistakes. Leaders often make mistakes. And and there is sometimes intended or unintended injustice in our communities, in our workplaces, in in our families, in our schools. And we feel like we're entitled to moan. We're entitled to, to complain a little bit about what's going on. I, I've recently started um, going along to a football club that meets on a, on a Monday evening. It, it's called Connect. It was started um, by someone from PCF about five years ago. And um, someone who, who preached here a, a month ago called James Chapman, he actually runs that group. But at the end of every training session, he, he gathers all the lads together and he says, um, if there's something that's that's bothering you, if, if you've got a problem with something, come, come talk to me, because this is, this is our club, and um, I'd much rather you speak to me um, about the issues rather than sort of complain amongst yourselves. And I think that's, that's a wonderful thing for, for our club. It's, it's, this, this is our church in the same way as that is our football club. And actually, um, I think one of the things that... Um, we should really try and do is is when we feel that urge to sort of mumble or grumble or complain or murmur amongst ourselves, we can we can switch it and actually try and pray for the leaders that um, that run this church, pray uh, for the Holy Spirit to guide them in their decisions, and um, and be hopeful in the future and try and find solutions for those problems. It actually says in Timothy that um, in Petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving must be made for all people, 
for kings and all those in authority. And I think that's a, that's a great model that we should try and adopt in our church, that when things are, aren't going our way, when we feel slightly victimized, we actually start to really pray for our leadership. The Bible is really clear about the words that we use. It says in Proverbs that our tongue, the words we say, has the power of life and death. And we have control over what we say, and it is constantly influencing and changing things around us. Do our conversations amongst us, do they encourage God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, or the opposite? So, obviously, this is important in church, but it's also, um, it's also really important in our, in our workplaces, in our social circles, and in our families as well. I think I, I probably learned a bit too late about how powerful my words were in, in my own family, and, um, and I think there's, there's sort of been a few years now where... I'm so, so thankful for my mum and dad, and I'm so, so sorry to them for sort of some of the words that I was using when I was growing up. And, um, and I don't know why I just wanted to share that right now, but I just think our words are, are really... That I didn't plan to say that, and, and they probably won't listen to this either, but um, I love you, mum. Anyway, our words are really important in our families, in our workplaces. We are called to be salt and light. We are called to be difference makers in, in, our, in this world. So many people in this world only know Jesus um, as a swear word. No, so many people don't know his message, his values, what he stood for, the reason he came to earth. But actually, he says that we are now his ambassadors. We are his messengers. And our words are, are so important in building people up. In John, it says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So my challenge this week, seeing as the 40 Acts of Generosity is almost coming to an end, um, is that you try and watch your your conversations, your words this week. Try and go a whole week without saying a single negative thing about someone. Let's practice building each other up and speaking the kingdom of God into being. So the next bit of Acts sort of gets into the nitty-gritty, the practical. So um, verse 2 to 4 reads, So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, I think those two verses kind of, they talk about two different types of people. And you may see similarities to one of these types of people. I think person number one is someone who has quite a lot of responsibilities. You take on a lot of different roles. You serve in many areas. And potentially, you have some authority because of this. But like the apostles in these verses, it's important to recognize that if you are like that, you also have the incredible privilege to release other people into their potential. 
You can be the, the people who empower and encourage others to take on some of the responsibilities maybe you have at the moment. If you're anything like me, um, it can take quite a lot of humility and faith in people to let go of responsibilities and trust someone else to take it on and maybe do it in a completely different way to how you would. I think that's, that's quite a scary thing sometimes. However, this passage shows us that that's an integral part of the body of the church growing, the body of Christ progressing. And trusting people with authority matches God's heart. It's what he's always been doing. Ever since he created humans, he was giving them authority over things. Even though he doesn't need us, he could have done it perfectly well on his own. He trusts us. He gives authority over to us. In the Psalms, it says, the highest heavens belong to God, but earth he has given to mankind. He trusts us to care for his world. He trusts us to steward his world, his beautiful creation. Even though we often abuse that privilege, he keeps on giving us that trust. Maybe if you're thinking that kind of person isn't me, maybe you're the other type of person. Person two is, is maybe someone who's, who's a bit unsure, a bit unsure of their giftings, or whether they're or whether they're even qualified to take on responsibilities in church. But I want to assure you if, you, if you do feel like that, that God says you have that authority. And actually, he wants to give you freedom to, to try new things, to serve in new ways. It actually says that you are God's handiwork, and you're created in Christ Jesus, to do good things, things that God prepared in advance for you to do. We're all part of God's church. We all have a part to play. Whether you're like person one or whether you're like person two, you are vitally important to serving this church. Not everyone has the same kind of gifts. It won't always look the same. I think that was made clear by the apostles. They, they realized that their gifting was to go out and minister, preach the word, and pray. But they realized that other people had practical gifts to, to prepare food for people, to, to welcome them. There's so many things that we can do, and not everyone's gifts are going to look the same. But we all have the same Holy Spirit that dwells inside us. That day of Pentecost was amazing because people were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with all different kinds of gifts. And when we accept Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, that is his promise that he will fill us with his spirit. One particular gift or skill that, that I might lack might be someone else in this church's strength and an effective tool for, for ministry. For example, many of you may use um, preparing or, or sharing food as a way to build relationships. And eating together is a wonderful thing to do to create unity. It's what the early church did. They obviously thought it was extremely important. However, if you're a lousy chef, maybe it's not the best thing to do. I actually invited a friend round on Monday, and um, 
Celia will be able to back me up on this. Um, I managed to turn on the wrong oven. So um, my food was in the top oven, perfectly still frozen. And the bottom oven was roaring up a nice fire with all the pans and everything in there, uh, making quite a nasty smell. Um, and actually, my, uh, my friend, because the stuff hadn't been cooked, uh, got left this on his, uh, on his plate, which um, <laughs> was sort of just peas and sauce. Which, um, so everyone's got different gifts. It's not always going to look the same. <laughs> right, take it away, take it away, it's embarrassing. <laughs> it says, um, Paul says in his letters um, to the church in Corinth, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. And in the same letter, Paul goes on to say that this church, the church of, of Jesus, is like a body. It's completely united. All of the parts are really, really important. But they're also so diverse in what they do in their functions. If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts. And God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. And maybe if you do feel like someone who, who doesn't feel qualified, doesn't feel like they have something to give, it actually goes on to say, in fact, some of the parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. If you ever feel like you have nothing to bring, nothing to offer the church, perhaps because you're not that comfort, confident in talking to crowds or, or, your, or your talents don't seem to benefit what the church currently does, be assured in the truth, you are vitally important and your unique service is necessary. The same Holy Spirit dwells in you. I want to um, turn our attention to the reason we're here, the reason we, we celebrate Easter. I want to look at the man who was the most humble servant, the man who gave his life in service. We've, I've spoken a lot about different roles and responsibilities that um, you might have in your job or you might have in church. But Jesus makes it clear that we need to understand one thing before we begin to serve. And that's the God-given authority that he gives. Jesus lived his entire life serving others. But I want to um, look at one particular verse from John, which I think sums up his, his service. Um, so this is John 13, verse 4. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. 
In this verse, we see that as a result of knowing his authority, knowing that everything in earth and heaven was under his control, he still knelt down and served. Many of the Jews expected their Messiah to be a military giant who would bring down the Roman army and free them from the oppression they were under. Many were waiting to to fight alongside this war hero. Instead, Jesus came and fulfilled Zechariah's prophecy when he rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. This is what Zechariah wrote hundreds of years before. Shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus had authority over heaven and earth, and yet he took the position of a refugee baby, a servant to the last, the least, the lost. He was a a hated heretic in his own temple. He was mocked, he was beaten, he was pierced. He was a sacrificial lamb for the people who didn't even recognize their own savior. And I think it's really important for us to know the authority that we have because of Christ's death. We need to know that God has chosen us to share in the same power that Jesus had. He doesn't give us power so that we can lord it over each other. He gives us power so that we can become like Jesus, a humble servant. In order to humbly serve, we must first know the hope to which he's called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance for us, the holy people, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. It's only when we grasp the authority that God has given us that we can truly become humble servants. I want to invite the band back up now. Um, but I just want to take a, a bit of time before, before we sing just to, uh, to ask God to be revealing to us through his Holy Spirit how we can serve in this church, how we can serve in our workplaces, maybe how we can change some of our, our language to speak life, rather than complaints. I just wonder if we we can all stand now. And I'm just going to pray for each one of us. Thank you, Father God, that 
every person here is so important to you, integral to the service of your church. And Lord, I just ask for your, your Holy Spirit to come and reveal to each one of us how we can serve in more humility, more like your son, more like Jesus. Thank you for the authority that you give us. Thank you that we have the same Holy Spirit, the same power inside of us that rose Jesus from the dead. Thank you, God, that we are sons and daughters of you. We are co-heirs. Reveal to us, God, how we can bring your, your kingdom to earth. I pray for everyone in this room who has a position of authority, either in their workplace or in this church. I pray that they'll know how to encourage. They'll know how to delegate authority and responsibility and release people into their potential. I pray for people who, who don't know how they can currently serve in this church. I pray that you reveal to them that their worth, their talents, give them ideas, give them wisdom of, of how to, to, to create things that will serve this community. Yeah, Father God, give us an understanding of who we are in Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's talk. Join us next week for another inspirational message.